What's up, everyone? This is Alex, and you are listening to another episode of the Jiu-Jitsu Radio Podcast. This podcast, as always, is sponsored and brought to you by Choke Aloha. Be sure to check out ChokeAloha.com. Use the promo code Jiu-Jitsu Radio and get 10% off your entire order. I finally got word that this week they will be releasing a uh, limited edition uh, spats and shirt. And they're also going to be releasing some classic designs pretty soon. And you will get 10% off when you use the promo code Jiu-Jitsu Radio. So thank you very much to Chocoloha for all the support. Now, on to the podcast. This episode actually came by a little bit by accident. I have been meaning to get uh, Dr. Corey Peacock onto the podcast from, for quite some time now. Pretty much since day one, schedules never really met up. And then we ran into each other one uh, morning, Friday morning, and uh, kind of was just busting his balls about him dodging me. And uh, he asked me if I wanted to do the podcast that evening, but I kind of misunderstood him and thought he wanted me to record his podcast. I've actually been trying to get him to start his own podcast with a professional boxer and kickboxing world champion, Chris Algieri, uh, for quite some time now. Um, I think schedules and everything's been a little hectic for everybody, and it never came to fruition. So I thought, hey, all right, I finally get to get them to record uh, their podcast, show up at his office, and next thing I know, it's kind of a little bit of confusion, almost like a Three Stooges, I thought we're doing yours. No, we're doing yours. So, long story short, we were actually doing the Jiu-Jitsu Radio podcast, and I couldn't be more excited for this episode because we go into some pretty deep science from two of the best when it comes to sports nutrition, weight cutting, um, training, strength and conditioning. For anyone who is striving to be a professional athlete, This episode is a must-listen. Please take the time to follow Dr. Corey Peacock and Chris Algieri. They are constantly putting up some amazing information as far as what they're working on. If you guys have time, I urge you to please bug them to finally get their podcast rolling because you can tell that they're extremely passionate about what they do and they have Some amazing knowledge, amazing stories, and it's something that everybody can benefit from. Uh, They are definitely putting in a lot of uh, time and work into what they are doing. And I think the end result would be something that would benefit not only the MMA community and the jiu-jitsu community, but any athlete that involves weight cutting and strength and conditioning and diet into their training regimen. So without any further ado, here is Dr. Corey Peacock and professional boxer Chris Algieri. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Jiu-Jitsu Radio Podcast. My name is Alexis Turosa, and today I am joined, finally, 
after much poking and prodding by my good friend Dr. Corey Peacock and I am uh, I'm pretty uh, humbled to say that uh, we have the world champ uh, welterweight boxer and undefeated kickboxer Chris Algieri in the house. Yeah, my, my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Notice he's humbled to have you here. Doesn't care that I'm here. Obviously. Not so much. I've been around you long enough now. Yeah, get a little bit closer to the mic just so I can hear you. For sure. All right. Yeah. No, we've been we've been around each other long enough. We have. We 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 we've messed this up quite a few times now. Yeah. A couple of reschedules here and there. I think it's been pretty good. So you guys are actually just finished working with uh, Vulcan Ozdemir. Yep. Number four uh, light heavyweight in the UFC. Who's got a fight coming up? Uh, what did you guys work on? Well, uh, I just finished up a strength and conditioning session with him. Um, he's fighting Jimmy Manawa, uh, very dangerous, very strong, very powerful athlete in his own right. Um, so really just creating a very powerful strength-filled foundation for Vulcan is going to be really important as we move in closer to the fight. Um, Chris also had a chance to speak to Vulcan and, you know, work with them as well. Chris, you can kind of explain that a little bit further. You know, Corey's been telling me about um, Vulcan for a couple months now, and um, he asked me about, you know, would, would like to work with him. And, you know, I always say, I, let me meet him first. Let me let me sit down and let me go over some things with him, uh, see where his head's at. And uh, before I like to work with anybody, I'd like to look him in the eye and, and see where they're at in their career. And, you know, the kid, the kid's got a lot of potential. You know, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do this camp, and, and uh, I'm looking forward to, to fight night. You come from like a, a very unique place where you fought. You you were the top of the top in boxing, top of the top in kickboxing, and now you have all that knowledge also of cutting the weight and you're working with these other guys. Do you see something that is a common mistake that fighters make? Yeah, I mean, I see a lot of common mistakes. Um, like you said, you know, I, I actually went into my education to learn more about uh, weight cutting and, and training and and uh, physical fitness for for my sport for my own my own body my own use in my career right. um, now I've kind of I got the experience to go along with the education that I had in place first and I'm really just trying to kind of share that knowledge and so we can kind of raise the, the bar of the sport on, on the whole but in terms of your question like common mistakes um, I would really say the number one thing is guys are just not eating enough you know just really? fueled athletes yeah I mean I think fighters and I think Corey can attest to this as well are some of the most catabolic athletes out there. Right. You know, they're constantly trying to lose weight. They're constantly trying. They're constantly breaking themselves down. Um, athletes, in, in, I mean, fighters in themselves are athletes that are kind of like, they're raw and they feel like if it doesn't hurt, it's not good for them, you know, and they're used to damaging and punishing themselves. So I think they carry that over into their training and into the whole training lifestyle. So um, they are a difficult group of population to work with, for sure. Do you find it? it's... Boxers make more mistakes than MMA fighters, vice versa, or it's kind of even all the way around. Uh, different, different pitfalls. Um, a lot of times, wrestlers have I'm, I'm, uh, UFC guys, UFC MMA fighters have um, wrestling backgrounds, mm -hmm. so they're kind of used to cutting weight. They also have a have they, they're used to a structured training program or a structured strength conditioning program uh, or structure at all. And a lot of boxers do not. Most most guys, you know, some guys haven't even finished high school. Very few of them have any college athletic experience, so structuring their training camps um, are, are a little a little more difficult, I'd say, than than the the uh, MMA fighters. So Corey, you see this obviously because you've been around with the MMA guys so much. There's been so many changes and so many 
just kind of prying eyes now with the the fighting sports in general, especially with the weight cuts. And now they're, everyone's trying to figure out the best way sure. for these guys to cut. You have one FC that does uh, like guys have to be within 10% of their yep. of their fight weight. And then you get guys like Johnny Hendricks who are totally missing weight. And now they're going to have to bump up. Like he had to bump up a weight class. Sure. So do you guys feel like there really is a set way that people should be approaching this? Well, I think we've really developed a system in the way that, yes, it should be done. Um, you know, right now, Chris and I are really compiling a lot of data on the work that we're doing together with a lot of these fighters and, uh, you know, definitely a future project in which we plan to unleash and kind of release right. here in the near future. But yeah, there, there's definitely a right way to do it. Um, I think the sport, like you said, there, there's variety, but I think one thing in common that we can say is that the sport itself, especially MMA is trying to do something about it. You know, right. they're, they're trying, even though it's a little bit different between organizations, they're making an attempt. Again, with this attempt, though, I think they don't have a lot to validate what the attempt is. Right. So it's kind of like we're going to throw a shot in the dark. We're going to throw 10% out there because it is like it's a that's nice 10%, small number. That's a number that everybody understands. Yeah. It's, it's easy. If it's a 155er, it's 15 pounds. That's 10%. So everybody knows. Right. Um, I think. Uh, again, like I said, we're, we're doing this from a very scientific methodology approach aspect, and uh, we really have this down to a system in yeah. which we're doing. Um, I mean, the little bit that I've seen you guys work with, the, the guys that I know that you work with, there's huge changes from old, like previous weight cuts they've done to stuff that sure. you guys worked on. From my point of view, and obviously I work with a lot of the pros and then I've got to deal with a lot of like the amateur guys for both jujitsu and MMA. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things that I see is people don't truly understand what they are actually doing to their body sure. when they're trying to cut weight. They, they, I think really it's, I'll lose a little bit of fat on the camp and then the last week it's just all water weight. I'll just lose all water weight and then I'll just rehydrate, but they don't really understand what they're doing to their body. Can you, let's say for the real basic amateur guy give them a quick breakdown of what they are actually physically doing to their body sure um i guess i'll start with the physiological aspect um and i'll kind of let you go into the actual detail of the cut so when you look at it from a physiological standpoint these athletes are really shifting their cardiovascular function they're shifting their metabolic function they're shifting their blood flow circulation vasodilation vasoconstriction patterns and, you know, realistically altering their thermoregulation, their sweating, their dehydration, their rehydration patterns to a very, you know, relatively drastic extent. And that has repercussions after the fight. You know, you're going to see that um, where a lot of these systems, you know, even though we try to get them to efficiently be there for fight night. And like I said, we, you know, we've developed a system that's relatively good at this. There still are repercussions following that fight where those systems are going to be hindered for performance aspects. And that's where that off season approach and trying to make those gains is really, really important. Um, you know, stepping away from that, I'll let Chris kind of go more into the, what they're actually doing from a water loss, rehydration and that kind of thing, more of the practical explanation of what they're doing on that week fight week and across that camp. You know, so as, as long as the athlete is, um, got a proper camp behind them, which isn't always the case. A lot of, of times guys get fights 
you know, kind of dropped in their lap. And Especially MMA. Yeah. yeah. Three weeks, two weeks, 10-day. Vulcan, I mean, that's yeah. how he's in the UFC, 10-day notice. A lot of guys got into the UFC that way. Yeah. You know, it happens. And when, when that's the case, then you just got to make the way and go out there and, and fight. Um, but when you have a guy who's a full camp and needs a 12-week camp, you're preparing his body to do what it's going to do that fight week, which ultimately comes down to it's water manipulation. You're taking the water out of their body, having them step on the scale, putting the water back in, and getting back to the weight that they did the majority of their training camp at. Right. Right? So uh, I've seen it tons of times um, where a guy will do his entire camp and he weighs around 200 pounds, and then he weighs in at 170. Yeah. And then he comes back up to 185. Well, the guy did the majority of his sparring at 200 pounds. He's a different guy. You know, he's, 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 he's 15 pounds apart from, yeah. from fight night to where he does his, the bulk of his training. So, you know, when you're expecting someone to have the you know, performance outcomes like that, it's, it's just not going to be there. Or you get the opposite. You get a guy who spent his whole camp at 190, weighs in at 170, comes in at 205. Yeah. Now he's 15 pounds heavier. Yeah. He's a different guy in the cage than he, than, than he was during his camp. Um, so you really got to keep it within kind of finer limits that way. And I think it just, it just logically makes sense that wherever you are at doing the bulk of your sparring, which is your, your, your basically race pace kind right. of, kind of training, that's what you should weigh going into the cage or the ring. You know, take right. that water out, put it back in, get back to that, that, that position. So let me ask you guys from a, let's say like a percentage point. You got guys that they're cutting, like you said, from 200 to what, 175? They'll probably come back to 185, 190 maybe. Mm-hmm. How much of their peak performance is lost because of that weight cut? Because they're not – everybody obviously comes into fight night. Everyone's got a couple of bumps and bruises, some damages or whatever, but they're not going to be operating at 100%. Are they at like a 70, 80? Like what's the average? It, it's hard to put a number to it, but I think Corey and I both agree that uh, a 10% weight gain after the weigh-in is within limits and, and where you're probably going to get a guy uh, performing as close to optimal as he can. When you, right. once, you, once you get too far outside of that, that 10% limit, so if you got a guy who's a 170 right. and you know he's coming into the, into the cage at uh, 187, you know, he's putting that, 17, that, that 10% of 170 back on, right. that's, that's, that's good. You and that's I mean, being like not to cut you off, but then what about when you get guys after the whole IV ban? Mm-hmm. So then, how does that affect even more? Because now you're still talking about fifteen, seventeen. Are you talking about pre-IV ban, post-IV ban, like an MMA? Well, I think we're talking post, yeah. and yeah. you know, I think something. I guess an important aspect that I think, you know, when Chris is kind of explaining this, this water manipulation and, and those kind of things, what you really have to consider is. What is the weight that an athlete can properly put back on in terms of hydration right. and still do two very important things? One, replenish the electrolytes and what she lost in that very, very drastic last stage of his weight cut. And how well can he replenish the glycogen storage that he lost during the physical activity of preparing for this weight, you know, for this fight? along with his diet manipulations and those kind of things. And I really think anything less than about that 8 to 10% window that, you know, I'd say an 8 to 10% window, and you can't ever properly restore those two things to function, you know, muscularly, physically, all of those things completely effectively like you would in your camp. Yeah. I think anything above that, and you're not allowing your body the proper timing, the proper ability to absorb 
those proper nutrients, where now your body's going into a state of something it's not used to, and it's probably getting rid of more than it's actually using and absorbing. Right. So I think you got to be really careful with that and keep it in that really fine window where too little, you're not going to absorb it. Too much, you're not going to absorb it because the body's going to go into kind of a shock state. What to do with it? Get rid of it. Get rid so of it. how do you guys it. find And sometimes it. you can see that with an IV where people would put an IV in too quickly and the body... Just rejects it. Rejects it, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the same thing. So, so I've you seen know. guys throw up. I've seen guys get the shakes. I've seen yeah. guys pass out. For sure. You know, um, and what I look at that is that you're either in the wrong weight class or you didn't prepare to be in that weight class. Absolutely. Um, and I think this comes down to something that, that, that those pre-camp assessments that uh, Dr. Dr. Peacock will do that, that my, I will do myself with, with guys in terms of where they're at physically, where they're at in terms of, in terms of body composition, meaning their body fat, meaning their, their lean tissue, meaning their body water content. Um, and then with me, in terms of their, their eating behavior, their nutrition-based knowledge, and, then, and figuring out what's the best weight class for this guy. Yeah. It's tough when you got guys that come to you like, I got to make this weight. And then you look at it, I'm like, this weight's not for this guy. Yeah. You know? Um, but, you know, this is their livelihood. You got to do what you got to do and, and to the best of your ability. But um, that's what I'm, I'm talking about. You need to be able to prepare your body to do what it's about to do right. you know, for fight week. And I don't think a lot of guys do that. I, for sure. I mean, look at how far Rumble went without doing that. I mean, he was walking around at what, 210? And he 220 would cut down to 175. Ugh. Like he was, you could tell, like, that's not one of those things that just even from the weight cuts, you could see how bad it was. Like sure. you could tell just from, from his skin, how mm-hmm. dry and how ashy he was. And yeah. and he would still, yeah. I mean, can you imagine if he tweaked his, his body enough to be able to get to that? Yeah. Like there wouldn't be someone alive in that weight division. <laughs> like there really wouldn't be. There's, there's barely anybody alive in the 205 division yeah. after they, after they get in there with them. Now from your work I, and I've, I've heard you say it at least from from some of the stuff I've seen you do on TV. You're you're kind of really bringing this more into the forefront for boxing. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of boxing guys, like you said, that don't really pay attention to it. They just kind of they still go old school. They throw the sauna suit, go run some laps, and show up. Most guys don't even think about it, boxing guys, until fight week. Like right. they don't they don't prepare at all. You know, from what I've seen, um, and like you said, I think boxing more so than than MMA is very old school, like you said, and antiquated in terms of its training systems. And, um, and the modalities used to prepare these guys for these fights. Um, you know, it is a high skill sport. So a lot of guys are just working on their skills, their skill set, um, and their style and what works for them. But, um, at the same time, man, I think you're seeing guys who are not performing at their ultimate best because they're not doing this the right way. And you got guys who are killers in the gym and then on fight night, they're just not the same guy. It's a different person. So what do you attribute that to? Like, is it just one of those old school? Just lack of knowledge. Right. You know, it's it's not an easy thing. You know, I, I spent forty thousand dollars to learn how to do this. Yeah. You know, I, would, I put myself to graduate school. You know, in order to learn this stuff at, at the scientific level, so I could use it on my own career. I understand that uh, that most athletes or not many athletes can can do that. Um, you know, so that that's actually why I'm out here. You know, kind of sharing this knowledge and helping people at this point because um, I get it. I've done it, but uh, it's it's not something that is. Uh, realistic for other guys to do. But do you remember a point in your career where you said where that switch flipped and you're like, damn, I really got to look into this? Honestly, it happened to me in high school. I was a wrestler mm. and I was killing myself to make weight. I'm like, there's got to be a better way than this. I had the skill set um, and I wasn't cutting weight the right way. And I remember going to the uh, the state championships up in Syracuse. So they held them back then, back in New York. And um, day one, state champs, yeah, I, I, I was good. I won my first two matches. Day two, Semifinals, 
this guy outweighed me by, I, I felt like 100 pounds. I couldn't believe he, we were in the same weight class. I'm like, this is not the same guy from yesterday. I had gained two pounds. You know, he'd probably gained 10, and I felt it. I felt every, every, every pound. Um, and I realized that I was doing something wrong. And that's when I realized, I was like, listen, I need to, I need to figure this out. And I was, I'm a science brain, science kind of guy. Good, good, good in school when I was a kid. So I just hit the books. Right. I mean, a lot of guys don't get it. For jujitsu, for, for big tournaments, you come in day of, you weigh in that weight. Yeah. So there's guys that will cut a ton of weight and then they compete and they'll have like six, seven matches. You're not talking about easy matches. A lot. You're talking about some beasts. Yeah. And they're going to fight. It's like so... So deprived and, just, yeah. and so depleted yeah. and so susceptible to injury. That's mm-hmm. the scary thing Oh, that's about nuts. It. It's you absolutely know? nuts. And yeah. jiu-jitsu is such a mental game. You yeah. Gotta be, you got to be sharp. You got to be sharp and reactive. It's very difficult to be sharp and reactive when you are that depleted. Well, it's a, it's a mixture of not only are you depleted, but then you get into the bad situations. So then you start freaking out. And if you freak out, then you're putting your body into an even more of an adrenaline dump and you lose everything that you worked for. Mm-hmm. And somehow these guys still push through. I don't know if you guys watched it. Uh, a few weeks ago, they did the, the World Championships for Jiu-Jitsu. And, I mean, guys are getting their foot snapped. People are holding on. They still keep going on. It's like, uh, I want to say it was Braulio Stima a few months ago. He was just warming up, just warming up to our quad. Quad or hamstring, I forget, but they literally, you see it like they had to tie his legs to keep the muscle from rolling back and oh. wheeled out. Doc, you can, I mean, you can, you can talk about that. that obviously, there's something, something going on there if the guy's getting hurt warming up. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's just that, that's the fact of the matter. They're coming in so depleted that all muscular function from a cellular level isn't there. I mean, you got you to think about, you know, when you look at muscle tears and, and all those things that go along with it, where that's actually coming from, that's just coming from the collagen, the, the, the functioning of the actual muscle itself. And when you're depleted that much water-wise, I mean, that, that's what you're going to see. You know, you really, you really have to think about that. The entire cellular function of the actual muscle is so driven off of calcium and your electrolytes. What carries those? It's water. These these guys are just coming in so dehydrated and so susceptible to improper muscle firing and, and injury. It's it's ridiculous. So I mean, what do you guys think then? Because there's some tournaments, I I think ADCC, where you have to be the same weight two days in a row, and guys are still cutting it. So now you're stuck holding it for two days. Is that something that you really feel that's just there's no point in putting yourself through that? They need to cut that out. So I, I get asked a lot of times, um, not not by jujitsu guys per se, but by uh, boxers, mostly amateur guys. And they ask me, like, oh, I, I got to lose this weight. What, what should I do? Move up a weight class. Right. You're an amateur. You're not getting paid for this. It's not worth it. No. Why? Yeah. Honestly, it, it, it's a three-round contest. The guy who's faster is going to win. Be faster and feel good. You know, I, I'd much rather see a young guy, um, you know, train hard, be, be, be fueled, and uh, be prepared to go out there and do what he has to do rather than cut the weight and win because he's bigger. Because right. um, honestly – in these high skill sports, the bigger guy doesn't win; the better guy wins. Yeah. So a couple pounds is not going to make a big difference. Yeah. Well, you get guys like Boss Root, and they they preach the biggest thing that it comes down to your cardio. Mm-hmm. The guy with the Endurance. best cardio is always going to win because someone's going to gas out, and then well, guess what? I'm still feeling 100. Yeah. percent So you'll be able to fire on all cylinders. The, the great Tony Ricci, who's my nutrition mentor and someone that I know Dr. Peacock looks up to quite a bit, um, is he preaches constantly. That combat sports, the base motor, biomotor ability is endurance. You know, we, if you need to have a tank, 
because at the end of the day, everybody's at the highest level. Everybody's good. Everybody's fast. Everybody's strong. Who's going to be in better shape? Who's going to have a better mentality? Who's going to who's going to be? And honestly, your your mentality, and your psychology, psychological has a lot to do with how your body feels. Yeah. So if you're in great shape, there's no bigger confidence boost in the world than being in tip top elite shape. Right. You come in feeling like a million bucks, you're going to perform like it. Oh yeah. You might get caught, but you're still going to feel like perform like you're a million bucks. Exactly. Exactly. So back to my original question. Um, I think one thing that most people don't realize is the actual damage that they're doing to it. I know you're talking about, you know, down to the cellular level, but you get guys that end up, their kidneys shut down, right? Mm-hmm. And then you you end up drinking like distilled water for forever, which is super bad for you. Yeah. Give the people listening just kind of an idea of what these mistakes are doing to their body when they do stuff like that. So, um... People will, will, will call it metabolic damage. Mm. You're, you're damaging your... That's not true. It's, it's actually metabolic adaptation. So our bodies are extremely, extremely adaptable. You see it all across, really, time. Whatever whatever dietary restrictions there are, what you have available to you, our, the human body is really adaptable and we'll figure it out. Um, you know, you see these guys, like you said, these guys who cut weight multiple matches in a row, but they still go out there and do it. Right. Um, and some of the best guys in the world do that. So obviously, their, their body has, has adapted to being able to do that. Um, the long-term effects of that is something that hasn't been studied, but I'm telling you, there's going to be issues. Um, you see it all the time with athletes who maybe have been cutting like weight their whole life, and then when they retire, they blow up. Yeah. You know, their body's adapted to a certain super low caloric intake, and they've got that deficit all the time. Their body has kind of gotten used to you doing that by hedging really their hormones and, and oral hormonal machines yeah. to, to be able to perform at the level that they're at. Um, that doesn't change right away. It doesn't go right back to normal. You have to train your system, train your metabolism. And these guys have trained their systems to, to work at such low intakes that um, that's what the new set point becomes. So getting that back to, to normal, again, the, the metabolism has adapted to that or getting it to readapt to what's what's normal. Um, it takes a lot of time. And I don't think guys really understand that. For put sure. Put time in to fix it. Yeah. You well, know? like we talked about, it's, it's an, an old school mentality of, you know, you just, you put on the sauna suit, you're doing this and this, that, and the other. People see the results, but they never understand why am I getting these results? And you can tweak it, but well, you could get the same results without putting all this, like your body through all this damage. That's exactly where Dr. Peacock comes in. This guy studies the, the numbers. Yeah. And, you know, kind of jumping off of what Chris was just saying about the whole idea with the hormonal animal and stuff like that. You know, you have to really think about two really important hormones that we look at that are really geared towards performance. You know, you're going to have insulin that is going to really drastically influence the recovery response. Yeah. You're going to have the catecholamines or adrenaline, which is going to be a very important hormone in terms of muscle contraction and firing performance the night of the fight. So any sort of shift that your body is going to take out of the norm or away from homeostasis, these two hormones are going to be released into the body. Anything away from normal metabolism, they're going to be released because they sense change. And that's a... I don't like change. The body doesn't like change. So the idea is if if we're hormonal animals and we need those hormones drastically, especially fight night, especially performance, and we're utilizing them or wasting them or releasing them at times when they shouldn't be released, we're ultimately affecting everything. Not only performance, but the influences that these are going to have on some of the other hormones during the recovery states of practice, weight cuts, and all of those things. So it's a really, really, you know, it, it's just a, 
you know, it's, it's exactly that. We're, when it's not done properly, we're not performing right. optimally. That's and what I meant by hedging the hormones. Yeah. Your body, I mean, you're, 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 you're lacking the energy, you're lacking the substrate, your body makes up for it. It bridges the gap using those hormones. Um, and you can overwork those organs that produce those things. Uh, adrenal fatigue, you know, you see, you see that. Like, that's a real thing. You know, yeah. People don't like, ah, it's just tired. Yeah. Now, when you're, you're drinking energy drinks, so you can go to train or your pre-workouts, and then you're going super hard, and then you're not eating afterwards. Like, yeah. What's providing that energy? It's you need the fuel. Yeah, we see athletes who have, yeah. you've got light heavyweights who are eating 1,500 calories a day, yeah. training twice a day, hard, for weeks. It doesn't even make sense. It doesn't add up. But the human body is that amazing. It has these hormones, these organs that can produce hormones that allow you to do things that you're not supposed to be able to do. It's kind of like a self-fight-or-flight system for it's itself. exactly for what sure. it is. Yeah. And let's be really honest, too. The, the fighter's a different athlete. You know, everything that I study as a, phys, you know, as a physiologist, everything that I've been taught throughout my education, you know, I have a doctorate, I have three degrees in this field, has been challenged with this fighting population, with this combat Absolutely. athlete population. Everything that I know, believe in, studied, researched, is challenged with this population. So, you know, like what Chris is saying some of the capabilities that these athletes have in very drastic, drastic approaches, imagine the capabilities that these athletes have if it's done efficiently, properly, and effectively. So let me touch off of something that, that you brought up, Chris. Um, let's say someone goes through the whole process. They do everything right. They do the weight cuts like you guys would suggest someone to do. How much does that alter the the effect that – a fighter would get once that adrenaline dump hits because the adrenaline dump is a very very real thing real. I've, I've experienced it in jiu-jitsu matches I'm sure you've probably had it a few times how much is that affected by the 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 training and nutrition and everything that a fighter's gone through leading up to the fight I think that's a tough question um, I feel like one of the last podcasts Chris and I have done together you know the topic of sports psychology was brought up and, mm -hmm. and brought into play and I, I do have to believe, like we said, when you look at the effects of hormone, especially adrenal dump and looking at adrenaline and all of those things, you know, let, let's just talk to a basic population about something like anxiety or a panic attack. That's real. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not something that doesn't happen. Like people are like, well, it's in your head. Well, yeah, psychologically, you, you convince your body to your, you know, you, you convince your body to react in a certain way hormonally with adrenaline, those things. But that's real. Yeah. You know, that stuff happens to the body and it's released. And I think this is the same thing when you look at it from a sports psychological standpoint. You know, can perfect preparation and all of those things decrease this adrenal dump? If you have full confidence in what you're doing, then yeah, I would think from a psychological standpoint, it can. But I do think, and I think I see this, and I'm sure Chris can attest to this, where he was talking about, you know, those killers in the gym that don't show up to fight. Sometimes that's very psychological. You know, I've seen this before with some of our fighters. Some of our fighters with some of the best skills and best abilities can talk themselves out of their abilities psychologically. And I think that comes down to the same thing where I don't know the right answer. And I think I may have just got off track just a bit. But, but you know what I mean. Yeah, like, I think I we mean, answered the question, but I think we yeah. also hit. Honestly, I don't think so. Though. I don't think so, Doc. I think you're right on the money. I think this comes down to a psychological thing. Yeah, and it comes down to psychological training. It comes down to how strong is your mind. At, I've said it before. At the highest level, everybody's good. Everybody's fast. Everybody's strong. Everybody's good at what they do. Yeah. 
but the best guys are separated by their psychology. Yeah. It's, it's about their mental. You know, I'm, I'm sure you're going to test that big time in jiu-jitsu. Yeah, yeah oh, that's big it. time. That's the, probably the biggest aspect. Yeah, I mean, if it's it's almost in any sport, if you feel somebody break, Yeah. Uh, let's say for jiu-jitsu, our matches are four, five, six, seven minutes, whatever. By the way, not to put you up, that's the best yeah. fucking feeling in the world. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's the best. It's like you're a king of the mountain yeah. right there. When let me ask you then let's let's get out of the the science aspect of it. Mm-hmm. When have you felt it where you you know you broke somebody in the ring? Uh, Ruslan Pavanikov. I knew I broke him. Um, I felt him getting weaker and, and smaller as the fight was going on. I could see in his face that he just he was just wasn't happy being there. <laughs> you know, I, I, I mean, let's be honest. If you're gonna be punching me, I'm not gonna be happy yeah, either, Chris. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> as bad as my my eye looked in that fight in those later rounds. I was comfortable, and in, in between every round, they, they asked me if I wanted to stop the fight, if I wanted to quit. There was at no time where I, I, I hesitated in any way, shape, or form. I said, no, I'm good to go. I'm winning the fight. Mm. I'm not getting hit anymore. I'm fine. I'm good. Um, you know, going into that final round, Freddie Roach said, you need a knockout to win this fight, to, to Ruslan. My guys were like, keep doing what you're doing. I knew I was winning the fight. Um, and I knew going into that last round, I was like, listen, I got I to gotta, I gotta finish this round. I got to work hard. I can't see a goddamn thing out of this eye. I literally, if <laughs> you watch that last round, I was moving just to move. Because I couldn't really see where he was anyway. I was throwing right. punches. I had no depth perception at all. I had one eye. And I was trying to find out where he was. I couldn't really hit him because he was there. But I just kept moving and working. And I just knew that my movement was going to give him so much trouble. That he was like, God damn it, this guy's still still here. He's right. still going. Um, so when that round ended, it was like, you know, I got it. But, I mean, really, that that's 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 my favorite thing. And I said even after, after that fight, I think I actually said that before the fight. I said, him and I, Ruslan, have a lot in common. We both break our opponent's will. And people, like, scoffed. He breaks it by, by literally physically breaking them. I break it. <laughs> like, he physically literally. breaks yeah, he's, he's a monster. And he, he breaks people. I break people by breaking their will. Breaking that inside, that, that, that will to win, that, 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 that desire to be there anymore. When you got a guy in front of you who doesn't want to be there anymore, man, that's, that's when you just take over and have fun. Yeah, and then you realize, like, shit, I got another, like, 20 minutes of this. I got to deal with this guy for another 20 minutes. <laughs> so bad. It's a bad feeling. I mean, I've been there. I've been there like on the on the giving end to receiving end. So mm-hmm. it's definitely not fun. Yeah, sure. So what do you guys really have going on as far as what you plan to put out there? Because it sounds to me like you guys have like a product that you really want to push out there. Because from what I've seen just on your work, Corey, like the, the couple of years that have been around you, I've seen you make such a shift on on the MMA world with the product that you put out there. I don't like to, to refer to people as product, sure. but the fighters are your product. What they end up doing on the cage is a, is a big product. Yeah, no, I completely agree. You're, you, the performance of the fighters definitely influences, you know, our impact as coaches, strength coaches, nutritionists on the sport itself. Um, you know, realistically, and I don't want to say lucky enough because I don't believe that this is luck. I believe that this is the impact of doing things properly. We're winning, you know. These fighters that I'm Did working with. Did you just with, go Charlie Sheen on me? We're winning. winning. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Tiger blood. I'm being serious. And, um, you know, I can't say that, I guess, looking at this from my aspect of, of strength and conditioning and periodization and those kind of things, I think I've really contributed an ability for – those coaches around me, for those fighters around me to understand how to do things properly. And I, I think that's been the biggest thing. So, you know, what are we working on together and, and what is our shift in this sport? It's This is something that we 
truly the two of us care about. You know, this is how Chris makes his, you know, that's, this is how Chris has made his living up until this point as he's kind of making this transition, still fighting and now, you know, coaching athletes right. and this kind of thing. You know, I know he's been coaching for a long time and, you know, competing. And, you know, realistically, this is something that I'm approaching three years just in the MMA world and, you know, three degrees and a lot of years in the football world. Yeah. You know, this is something that we truly, truly care about. And we truly want to make an impact to improve all of these, all of these things. You know, we can sit here, we can laugh, we can joke, but these are serious issues that when Chris and I get together, I mean, this is no bullshit. We talk about this 99% of the time. What can we do to change this? Where are we going? You know, and, and I think it's, it, it's a lot of times it's us throwing out 500 ideas of things that we can do in this sport, but really narrowing it down. Right. It's kind of been our problem. What do we really want to do? Um, you know, Chris and I had a really great visit out in Phoenix. We were at the International Society of Sports Nutrition uh, National Conference. And, you know, a lot of, I feel like a lot of people were talking to us about weight cuts and, you know, proper training and all of those, all of those questions. And we had a chance to go visit the Excess facility who spent a lot of time working with UFC athletes and combat athletes and, and all of those things. And, you know, I find speaking with, with them, we, you know, a lot of the questions that I think we see outside of this is still that weight cut point. Yeah. You know, and, you know, Chris and I really, when we, when we left there, I think they really provided some clarity on where our direction and where our product is going to go. And, you know, and I guess really looking at what you're even asking us, you bring us in here, what's the first thing you're asking us about? A weight cut. Yeah, you know, because but, it's it's that element that people don't know a lot about, and there's not a lot of science to back it right. up. I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to bring in, 50, you know, for me as a researcher at a university, what are you going to do? You're going to bring in 25 people, you're going to dehydrate them to the point of what people or research literature would say is death, right. and then rehydrate them? Nobody here is gonna. Kid, yeah, no nobody's gonna, gonna let like, us do it. I'll uh, tell you right now, if if I'm not gonna get to punch somebody in the face, and get paid for it, I am not cutting weight. Yeah, I don't feel like <laughs> risking my kidneys shutting down for yeah. just you know, so you can write a paper on it. And, and, but that's the thing, though. That's the misconception is what these you know what these general populations can put their bodies through compared to what these athletes can put their bodies through are two totally different yeah. things, different species. So it's yeah. kind of like it's one of these things where Chris and I have these a resource that not a lot of people have in this world. Yeah. And so with that resource and with that data and with that product, you know, I, again, I can speak for what we've talked about. You know, I think Chris and I are going to make a really drastic impact in this, this approach to the weight cut. I feel just from obviously from being around you so much and listening to a lot of the stuff you guys uh, put out there, it's almost like the weight cut, the weight cut is the challenge, Yeah. but the answer to that challenge doesn't lie within the techniques of the weight cut itself. It's everything leading up to the weight cut. Yeah. And, very fair to and like the nutrition of it is obviously the big part of it. Why do you feel it's like it's been such a puzzle? I mean, like you said, there, there's no real science behind it. There's no statistical data as behind it. But why has it been so long, taken so long for people to be like, hey, we need to assess this? Well, I think let me ask a question to Chris. And I think this can, you know... My question can lead into an answer. How many fights have you had as a boxer? Uh, 24. Have 24 of your weight cuts went the same? No. And I think that you can kind of go into that a little bit more. Yeah. Um, 
that's that's part of the reason, like Corey just alluded to, is that no one weight cut is the same. No one person is the same. You are dealing with uh, combat athletes are the most, it's the most individualized sport in the world. Yeah. Like, it's not like sprinters. It's not like, okay, everyone's fast twitch. Everyone has to be fast. And you basically have a genetic ceiling to how fast you could be. All the Olympians, Olympians on the line running for gold in the 50 meter, they, they pretty much have the same genes. They're all super fucking fast and super explosive. Um, and fighters are not that way. You can have a guy who's not explosive at all and be a world champion. Um, I've done presentations talking about this specific thing for boxers. You got a guy like Willie Pep versus Mike Tyson versus Sugar Ray Leonard. You've got three guys that master different biomotor abilities but are still considered some of the best fighters that ever lived, best boxers ever lived. You've got a guy like Willie Pep who is an endurance guy. Wasn't really particularly fast. Didn't have any power. One of the best fighters you've ever seen. Mike Tyson, all power, all explosion. Not great endurance. One of the best fighters you've ever seen. Sugar Ray Leonard, kind of like a mix, like a hybrid athlete. Fast, but not the fastest. Strong, but not the strongest. But again, one of the best fighters you're ever going to see. Yeah. You know, so like, it, you, there's no category for, for, for these combat athletes. That's my, I'm using an example for boxing, yeah. but MMA is the same way. Oh, for sure. And that's it. There's even more, right, more, more pieces to the puzzle. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's probably even more complicated to kind of put together the perfect MMA athlete. Um, you know, I don't think there is one because it is a skill-based force as well. You know, so it, it makes it that much more individual. And when it comes to weight cuts, every weight cut is, the same, is different. I work with a fighter, uh, Dennis Bermudez. He's, man, he's got yeah. 10, 11 UFC fights at this point, maybe more than that. Um, the way he's able to cut weight is completely different than another fighter that I work with, Ryan LaFleur. They got completely different body types. Their bodies metabolize nutrients completely differently. They're able to pull different amounts of, of percentages of their body weight in order to make the weight. Um, sometimes they're super easy. Sometimes they're start hard. And I've been with these guys now all of all of Ryan's UFC fights, Ryan LaFleur, and uh, probably three-quarters of Dennis's. And not any of those cuts have ever been the same. So then what do you feel – not that I'm trying to pick up because I know you said you didn't want to talk about other people. I go. got I got something to go off that. Oh, I go, ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Because um, I just think this is funny because, you know, one of my fighters, Michael Chandler, just competed um, over the weekend. And <clears throat> I'm thinking about this this whole week and thinking about his communication with me. So Michael's a lot different, I think, than a lot of the fighters that I deal with in the regards that Michael asks a lot of questions. You know, Michael comes from a collegiate background, a collegiate wrestling background, and everything needs to have an answer for him. You know, and, and obviously it's just a testament to who he is, you know, a two-time world champion. Yeah. And, He's and a professional. He's a professional. Mike's a badass. I like that guy a lot. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and um, one thing Mike said to me, it was funny, because it's it's fight week. It's, we're going through the weight cut, and he sends me a picture of his prior three weight cuts and the directions that I have for this week. And he says to me, why is this different? Why is every number different here from week to week? Are you bullshitting me right now? What he can't figure out is there's a couple different things, you know, certain weight checks, certain weight markers throughout the camp, certain markers that we see when we go with our physiological analysis from a resting metabolic rate to a DEXA scan, you know, to how much water is he holding throughout the camp. You know, these things all play a role in what we do. I, I can say, you know, Chris and I can, pretty much consistently say we keep a lot of what we do to certain percentages based off of these metrics that we read. Um, 
But, you know, to them, it's just like, okay, why is this 167? Why is this 164? Why is this 166? Why is this 169 in terms of weight? That, it's just a number to them. Yeah. They don't realize there's a percentage that goes off with this. But, you know, he really questioned that. And I thought, I kind of looked at it, and I was like, this is, this is kind of funny because, you know what, in my head, this weight cut is going exactly the same to me right. based off of the numbers and the metrics and those kind of things. But realistically, when you just laid it out on paper for me from just a plain number aspect, which everybody understands, it's different. Yeah. Like every number is different here and all of these different goals and where he should be on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, how many gallons of water he should be you know, consuming based on the things that we saw during this, how much is he shedding over the night. You know, These things are all different in terms of the number value but in terms of the range and percentage value, yeah. it's all the same to me. So I'm, you know, I'm thinking differently than a number, but to the fighter or to the athlete, yeah. it's a number. Well, it's human nature to to find a pattern. Yeah. And it's that's when and it my comes pattern's to it's different. Right. But it's almost, you know, it's physically impossible to try and find a pattern in that because you're never exactly the same person. Sure. You yes. from from the last fight, the last fight may have been six months ago, may have been a year and a half ago your body is completely different. It may be around the same range of how it reacts and acts to certain things, but it's completely different. So you have to be able to to just kind of pull from your knowledge of like, oh shit, well we gotta do this and we gotta do that and this, that to balance everything out. Right. So I mean I mean I've seen it with the bodybuilders that, sure. that I've been For around sure. with. Bodybuilders like, the same way. Yeah. And I mean, and it's even worse. It's like it's worse. It's cause it's it's almost it's not it's almost like a, a homeopathic like answer to stuff like oh well you're here well you should do this and do that and from an outsider looking in it's just kind of like is, is this guy serious or is he just pulling stuff out of his ass because because that sounded like that answer just came out of thin air sometimes it's both you know it, <laughs> sometimes it's a mental game just it, it happens and, and, that's, and that's why even like with, with vulcan meeting him today like i wanted to sit i need to be in front of this guy and hear what his situation is right because i don't know until i'm there you know it's very difficult to these things uh, you know it's funny <laughs> this is funny so i get uh dms all the time people are like hey can you make me a meal plan yeah like i you're, can <laughs> you sure, got the money <laughs> sure no no not even that no sure i can yeah i don't know who you are right <laughs> i don't know what you are i don't know what you're made out of I don't know. I don't know what you eat. I yeah, and you know you can't do that. Here, chicken, broccoli, you'll be fine. Well, it's yeah. a bastardized system because let's be honest. All I need to do is add the word "fit" after my Instagram name, and people are gonna think that Famous. I'm a pro. Yeah, and it's like you get people who have no experience whatsoever in sports, no, no licensure, no education, nothing. They just have a couple of booty programs. You know, it's like go They're go up the steps. Yeah, and it's like, come on, like you're really gonna just take this? I bet you, they if you go look at their high school photo. Or yeah. yeah. And so Most it's, of the time. Yeah. So it's like, come on, like you, you gotta have. First of all, that's kind of disrespectful to you because, like, well, guys, like, that's ten, fifteen years worth of fucking experience back mm -hmm. there, and you just want to sit there and have it on a piece of paper on a spreadsheet for yeah. an eight-week program so you can look good this summer. Yeah. Well, Shit I'll, doesn't work that way. I'll tell you right now, you're just saying it because now you're just getting under my skin. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I look at some of these fighters and you know some of the guys I deal with and. You know, again, uh, you know, I'm a I'm a physiologist, strength and conditioning coach. I have a sports nutrition certification, but by no means do I consider myself a sports nutritionist like Chris and, right. and the other. You know, I know enough to be dangerous and to be able to contribute to what these guys are doing and to help make modifications. But you know, it's not. I'm, I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not going to claim that I am. Um, but when they bring me a program and they say, "Hey, look, this bodybuilder." wrote me this program and then I get on there and see something like something as basic as like 
the grams don't match the calories or something like that, that I'm like, there's a problem. Or I see my athletes consuming a third of what they're actually burning in a day. Then it starts to, it, it just, it kills me inside. Yeah. Where it's like, you're just I plugging just, in random numbers. I want to just, you know, I'm serious. And it's always like written on just like a piece of like notebook paper. And it's like, I just want to grab it and shove it in my mouth and just chew it out. There's <laughs> well, your calories. Like, you know, so you're, you're right. It's one of those things. It's, it, this, this is the worst field. I mean, even in just in terms of that, but like, you know, it's the yeah. most rewarding field for me. Obviously, it's what I, it's my passion. It's what I love to do, but it's also the worst field that like just drives me nuts. Well, you, it's, it's disrespectful to the work that you put in. Sure. Because, I mean, you, you go so deep into it. As far as to like the mechanics and the science behind I mean, it's it. It's my livelihood. Yeah. This is what I consider my you, livelihood. Yeah. I mean you you spent the nights and you spent the weekends to sit there and get there to get that knowledge. And people think they can just say it do it by copying paste in some bullshit program that they probably sure. bought someplace yeah. else. And they don't – they have – I guarantee you they didn't even bother taking a look. It's like, well, they didn't even ask the person, do you have any allergies? No. Do you have <laughs> any problems? Yeah, that's what I mean. Like I don't know who you are. I don't, yeah. know, I don't know what you're made of. I don't know what, what, what issues you have. But like uh, even like into something more practical – when fighters, so I used to do, I used to get hired just for weight cuts. Yeah. And I used to do that. I don't do that anymore. Because, like, we talked about this whole time. Like, if, you, your, if your body's not prepared for that weight cut, I'm not going to sit there while you torture yourself. Yeah. And, 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 and post claim that I helped you make weight. I can't do that. You know, like, I, 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 I've dragged guys through weight cuts before early in my career. I'm like, I won't do that anymore. So when Daniel Jacobs brought me on for the Triple G fight, Brought me out eight weeks out. Yeah. I was with him the entire time. That dude's body was primed to make the weight. I watched the video of you making him like lunch and everything. That was pretty funny. Dude, so it's funny. <laughs> it was like, oh, you know, I, I did an interview with guys like, oh, so, you know, like, it's, it's all, probably awesome having you as a cook. And I'm like, I looked at him, I was like, I'm not a cook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best. You have to watch it. Chef I was just, Algeria. I forget where I was. I was just like, I forget if it was on TV or it was online. And all of a sudden your face popped out. I was like, what the fuck is Chris doing? Like chopping up fucking onions or something. <laughs> Chef like, yeah, Chef Algeria. I was like, oh man. Yeah, but I, I, I need to like remind me, like, I'm not a cook. I just like to cook. And it just worked out that I can that I cook. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a performance nutrition coach, man. Yeah. I sit there, I'm, I'm telling you what you should eat. Normally you'd have somebody else do it, but... I was in camp and I know Danny well and I was like, you know what? I'm here. Let's save some money. Well, save you some money or make me some money. One yeah, of those things. A little bit of both. <laughs> a little bit of both. And I'll just do the whole thing. So I don't know how if you guys paid attention to the, the fights over the weekend where Johnny Hendricks didn't make weight. And then he claims that his wife was sick a month out. She he was fine the whole time, and then the second he caught weight, he got a cold and completely missed weight. Gotcha. Which I would totally understand if he hadn't missed weight before, like a bunch of times. Multiple times. So what do you think that really attributes to? Because it could be just laziness, just not really giving a fuck. Or it could be like, would a cold really affect it that much? I mean... Honestly, I don't know Johnny. Um, you know, I'm a huge fan of Johnny. I think Johnny... You don't have to talk trash. Fights. I'll talk trash. Yeah, you for sure. No. no, I think he's had, you know, great fights. I mean, he's a world champion. Yeah. At one point or another, um, but something, and I think any everybody can agree to this: something's went drastically wrong yeah. in, in that process for him to have these issues and have these problems. And it could be any one of those things, but I would have to say probably a combination of all. But of it makes things. no sense to me if someone that who was a collegiate wrestler, high level wrestler, he's done it perfectly so many times. Sure. And now all of a sudden it's just but, going. But then, okay, so you're saying something. And you're making a huge assumption. Yes. Is totally. he really done it perfectly? 
What if it's been? The, he's made the weight. Okay, he's made, he's the, made weight, the weight, and that's that's what I mean. That could be the that could be the biggest issue here is that he may, and from what I've heard, he's a, I've never met him. From what I've heard, he's a he's a really big guy. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe that's just the case. Nothing's been right this whole time in this process. And it's just body's it's gotten not doing through it. him so long. And like I said, you know, looking at these, phys, you know, it's, I take a very scientific approach looking at these physiological measures, cardiovascular, metabolic, and you know, the list goes on and on. These things, in terms of human physiology, when you study these things, aren't really – there's certain markers that really aren't supposed to change a lot throughout your – you know, throughout preparation and all those things. It's kind right. of like your genetics allow you to be this strong or this in shape or this fast or this whatever. This process of camp, weight cut, fight alters these things way more drastically than scientific literature <laughs> says that they should be altered. Right. True. So again, I, again, looking at these guys from pre-camp to pre-fight to post-fight, I have three, you know, if I'm looking at this on paper from a physiological standpoint, I have three different people in front of me. Yeah. And these are, this is the same person in a matter of 10 weeks. Yeah, if you were just looking at the numbers, you would say that like it's physically impossible for someone sure. to be doing this. So, you know, with, with that said... I guess it's, it's just like we said, how much can the body take? How long can the body take this before it starts to react against this? And, you know, that could be something that Johnny's dealing with and, you know, a, a career decision as to where he needs to go in terms of weight class. Right. Maybe something he needs to think about, um, you know, and I can't speak for him. Maybe it is with those things that he hasn't put the work in and he knows that. I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm going to interject with a little bit of uh, fighter insight. Go for it. What a fighter tells you in the public. <laughs> no, no, no. Not what a fighter Come tells on. you in the public. What a fighter tells you to your face. Yeah. Like as a coach. They're generally entirely oh, for different sure. things. So if he tells you you got a cold, who knows? Maybe, yeah. maybe he did. Maybe he had a cold on top of well, a lot it, of other things that happened. Well, it maybe, maybe he had maybe maybe he had a, a massive ankle injury that you didn't know about. And he couldn't you know do his cardio and anything. Well, look at what happened with Khabib, Khabib Nurmagomedov, mm-hmm. like at his last fight. Sure. He was eating tiramisu the Wednesday before the weight cut. Right. And then he's like, ah, I can still make the weight. And then his kidney, or was it his liver shut down? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like his liver just completely shuts down and they had to like rush him to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Right. So this just popped in my head. A question for you guys is, let's say you finally get to make that shift happen mm-hmm. in whether it's boxing, MMA, whatever. Do you feel that that, shift of the weight cutting process and the training process would help extend a fighter's career or at least extend their their peak thousand percent thousand percent um i think that if we had more athletes who this is a big one for me staying in shape in between fights come on guys you're common a, knowledge you're a professional no, common knowledge it's it, it's, a, it's the least yeah thing, it's, it's the least consistent thing you see yeah you know guys you're a professional athlete you're a professional. You don't have a season. Stay in shape in between fights. That that prolongs guys' careers. Who are some of the longest careers we've ever seen? Um, I'm, I'm always going to go back to boxing. Bernard Hopkins. Yeah. That guy eats. I've, I've been around him eating. He's vegan, right? I'm not sure if he's a full vegan at this point, but like I've been around him eating. He eats very, very light, stays very, very lean all year round. Yeah. George Foreman. He uses the Foreman grill. <laughs> Cuts the fat. Yeah, um, Randy Couture. Yeah, I spent a lot of time in a shrink tour. I lived in Las Vegas. I trained out my home gym for a while. Um, seeing that guy year round in shape, never misses a workout. 
he would travel all over the goddamn world at that point. That was like a bunch of years ago when he was really busy doing movies and whatnot, but still fighting. Um, he never missed a workout mm-hmm. into his mid to late forties. Probably still doesn't. Um, a guy like that, you know, that, that, I mean, that, that's a testament to, to exactly what you just said. Can you extend your career by doing this the right way? Duh. Look at the guys who have, Yeah. you know, it, 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 it's, I don't think there's a, there's a magic bullet here. These guys live the lifestyle. That's what it's about. And I'm going to be honest with you too. Just, you know, uh, again, this, this goes for not just stereotyping fighters, but just going for any sport in general, that's professional. I mean, you're at the professional level. Anybody is looking for an advantage. Okay. And this and is the, the most easiest one to grab for sure. And you have something like, you know, you have something like USADA come in and clean up the sport and, and it's drastically changed a lot of things. And it's drastically changed a lot of things. Um, what do I think that's going to do to the sport? I do believe that's going to create, just like anybody would think in looking at genetics and hormones, it's going to become a young man sport at some point because yeah. younger athletes are going to be, are going to have a hormonal disposition to be more physically gifted in a sport like this. So with that said, if you can take somebody and prolong these hormonal effects and these performance effects and all of these things that we've discussed this whole time, you're going to prolong somebody's career and to be effective over that career as well. With that being said, then, the obviously the amount of work that they have to put in physically, the twice a days and all that stuff drastically affects their hormones. Sure. Is that something that needs to be changed too? How would you well? How would you change that? Well, you know, Chris, I think you were sitting in on this conversation too. Um, Chris and I were at a seminar, and we were listening to a guy that does combine preparation for NFL athletes, Pete Bomarito. Yep, it was uh, awesome presentation. Yeah, it was at Nova Southeastern University, where you know I'm a, an assistant professor as well, um, and. One of the things he was talking about, he started to refer back to some of the literature and put me onto this literature, looking at certain periodizations and certain camp schedules and how to most effectively, for a short period of time, influence neural drive and neural function and, and those kind of things. So when I look at people doing a two-a-day because I have to do two-a-days every single day because this is what's said, or three practices because how am I going to fit in jujitsu and wrestling and striking and this and that? It really bothers me because if you're not getting a – and again, now just talking about in general terms. If we're not getting a quality session, is there really a point to do it? Yeah, quality to over me, quantity. No, you're teaching yourself shit habits. You're teaching yourself you – know, you're, you're teaching yourself poor neurological habits. If you're striking at 25%, you're teaching yourself poor motor habits and all of the physiological things that go along with that. So, you know, to me, it, it's about really spreading these things out throughout an entire camp efficiently to keep that neural drive very, very high. And that's that's something that, you know, um, you know, Chris and I have really worked on. He, you know, he and I have collected a lot of data, even just as with, with Chris as a subject. He's being well, right, nice right now. Yeah. I've, I've <laughs> ground myself into the ground before, and he's been like, you didn't really pull back. Chris. How many, but how many times a day would you would you go? Like, Two or three. See, yeah, really? and then like Chris, you know, says like what you say to the media. No, what he says to my face is even sometimes not true because he's <laughs> right. No, but, but this is true though. You know, Chris has yeah. run himself into the ground many a time. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I, I saw some things in, in Chris's camps previously that 
have really become red flags to me of things that aren't going to allow him to perform. And I think Chris can agree that even though at the time, you know, some of his sparring and some of his really important sessions were hindered because of the outside training, the unnecessary training that he was doing. Um, and I specifically remember you saying you can't redline every workout. Yeah, and yeah. I remember, but but then again, same thing. Listening to Chris, I remember Chris saying, kind of like Mike Chandler saying, "Well, why don't we talk about it? Why don't you just bring that data and we'll?" Because he didn't believe me. Yeah, well, you know people I mean? have that argument. Well, because it was, he was cool. It was he was pissed. pissed. No, he wasn't yeah. happy about it. He wasn't happy <laughs> taking the criticism, and it was one of those things where it was going to be a point to prove me wrong or whatever the case was. But that wasn't the case. You know, we. It's, it's objective. Yeah. And that's why I do a lot of the things that I do from a scientific yeah. you know, perspective Aspect. is you can't argue with me in this when it's numbers. Yeah. Or it's the diminishing return. Yeah, and, and that's exactly it. So when he sees the numbers. Especially when it, when it, when it, when it coincides with how you're feeling, how you're performing. Yeah. If, you're, if, you, if your session doesn't feel great and then you're also seeing numbers that said you shouldn't feel great, it's like, oh, okay, well, maybe I can. A fighter's mind is a very specific thing. And to admit that you weren't your best is a whole, that's a whole fucking deal. Yeah. You're opening yeah. up a different can. So I'm not, I'm not even going to allow myself to think that I didn't have a good session, but then he shows me some numbers. I said, you shouldn't even had a good session. Like, no, and I didn't have a good session. You actually, know, I'm yeah. going to admit that now. Okay. And, and another thing going into some of Chris's data, um, and some of the things that we've seen in the past, you know, Chris and you know, whoever else, you know, that was involved at the time in terms of the coaching staff and those kind of things had a heavy bag workout, that was supposed to be to act as, you know, a little bit of technique, a little bit of power, but a relatively active recovery type day. In between sparring days. In between sparring days, okay? Let, let, let's focus on some of the fight technique. Let's get some of the combinations down. Let's get some power shots in just to fire that nervous system, and let's go. Those numbers from a water loss standpoint, from a body temperature standpoint, from a heart rate standpoint, from a movement standpoint – were a lot higher than what he was outputting in an actual sparring session, a 10-round sparring session. So there's really so no to, recovery. So done. to me, no, no, I mean, worse. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's one of those things where it's like, and again, this is how you learn. You know what I mean? I won't, I won't criticize. I won't anything. Because if you ask me and if you ask Chris, I guarantee you Chris said after that heavy bag work and all that stuff that that was a light day for him or an easy day for him because it's kind of ingrained in his head that that's recovery. You know, and I guarantee you that. But then when we start to really look at the numbers, it's, well, fuck, like, we've messed up here as coaches. You know, and I carry this over into a lot of other sports where I've seen data, you know, looking at certain things where, you know, I've worked with some teams that have, you know, they do a lot of GPS technology. And some of the things that, there's, there's a new culture shift in football where it used to be, Practices were set up kind of like if you were going to compete on Saturday, Friday you took off completely, Thursday was kind of a walkthrough, and then Wednesday, Tuesday, Monday were kind of your bulk practice days. Now people are starting to understand the nervous system a little bit more where if you're competing on Saturday, Friday the goal is to stimulate that nervous system the same way you would stimulate it during competition. Not as long, obviously you're not going to go for three hours like a football game would be or like a boxing match would be, but you stimulate the heart rate, you stimulate that neurological response to be very high so that the athlete's primed to go into that next day. Right. And like, you know, these people will show me this data and they'll tell me that, you know, we're doing something like a, a you know, our Fridays before game days are supposed to be super fast and super explosive, just like the game, but they're very cut down in terms of time. 
And then I look at the speed or the intensity or the, you know, the physiological markers compared to what I see in the earlier practices or compared to the game. And they're only like 50% of that. Okay. So you've got all this culture of like kind of the jog through or the walk through, yeah. but you're still not stimulating the system. You know yeah. what I mean? So it's like one of those things that's, if that's the intent and that's the purpose, just like with Chris, if this, if his intent and his purpose for that bag day and that pad day was active recovery or strategy, did he accomplish that? No, he might have had a you know he might have had a great day in his mind. He might have got session. you know you say no, because he might have got a lot of work, right. but it's not the intent. Yeah. Intent's the most important thing in this yeah. in this whole camp yeah. to keep that nervous system. So him having that that really high volume day, yeah. how bad did he fuck up his Friday or Saturday? Right, he you know. Oh, you burned out. Like you could have you could have burnt out. Like mentally, you've gotten to the point where you're so strong where you can sit there and sure. say to yourself, "It was a great workout," because you told yourself, "I need to stop bitching about my workout." Sure. But physically, it's like, well, you just – you fried your, your neurons. You fried your, your fast twitch muscles. And now when it comes to Friday, you're just going to be sure like lagging half-assed. And it might have been in his mind or his – you know, in his perception, the best that he could have output that day. But yeah. he doesn't realize that maybe it's not the best output that he could have put. With he could have waited an extra six, seven hours and then sure. he would have had an insane anything workout. Anything like that. Yeah. You know, any, anything like that in these, in these combat sports. Well, like so. you say, like once – I mean, you know it. Like, Chris, it's that once you start getting tired, technique goes out the window. Fatigue makes cowards of men. Yeah. That's, just, that's a great quote. And that's exactly that is absolutely true. Man, can we switch uh, topics? I'm getting beat up over here. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just have to, like, I have to use you as an example. That was totally not me. Because I'm stuck looking at your data all day <laughs> for all of this. Like Dr. Corey just basically said. I always have data in front of me for some reason. Chris, I know, I know you're. Because he's the easiest one. I know you're a champion, but fuck you, fuck everything you've done. Like you're killing but no, me. No, right hey, now. All right, what you just said too is another topic for me. What? It's like okay, so some of these approaches that he's done, he's still a world champion. Right. Like, holy shit. Then where do I come? So then it's like, you know, how do I interject well, and come in? Henry, tell him the Henry Hope story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Wait, don't get me in trouble God, with Henry. I don't even know which one to, which one to go the with. The first one. When, when, Stick with, my computer up my ass story? Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. Don't get me in trouble Science with Henry bitch. now. <laughs> you know, well, uh, you know, Henry, okay. Henry's, in my opinion, in terms of his demeanor and his personality, his, he's the best MMA coach that I've been around okay. my entire life. You know what I mean? I mean, it, one of the best coaches in terms of all sports. Hands down, one of the best coaches life. of all time, regardless of the sport. Hands down. Henry speaks his mind. That's being Dutch. You know, yeah. You know, Henry speaks his mind. And, uh, you know, in his mind, I think for the first, I think for the first three to six months that we work together, he thinks that my degree's in, like, how to use computers or something like that. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? And, like, for me to start gaining his trust – it really took a lot of different kind of like me making points that came to fruition and things like that, you know, and athletes at risk for injury. And unfortunately, then we see injury and things like that, you know, and it was kind of one of those things, cause and effect, but it, it made him and I, the relationship that we had, you know, grow as to this point that we're at now where, you know, myself along with Jake Bonacci, who, you know, in terms of MMA strength and conditioning is you know, in my opinion, the best strength and conditioning coach in the actual in, Agreed. in, in the actual yeah. industry, in the actual field, you know, it really it really increased the trust of what Jake and I were really trying to accomplish with the rest of the team at that time with, you know, Coach Greg and, and Henry and those guys where 
they believed in what we were doing, you know, and, and Henry says it now all the time. Look, I don't, I don't really get all that weightlifting stuff. I don't get what you're doing over there, but my guys are always 100% come fight night and they're always healthy. Yeah. And I think that says a, a, says a lot to what we're doing. I mean, I can, I can tell you from my experience around the camp before you came, sure. came around the way that I see everybody training is absolutely different. Every time that I see everybody comes in, they're like top shape. They're like top, like just performance output every time. I mean, obviously getting into like later on in the week, sure. everybody drags down. But compared to when I first came in to, to the old gym and everything like that, yeah. for sure, hands down, everybody's performing at a way higher like RPM. And it's sure. it's a shift from like when I was talking to you, Chris, about like the, the shift in the mentality of the training. Because you yeah. can go yeah. same old school, like we just grind it, grind it, grind it. Look at teams like AKA. Yeah. They're known for guys getting injured. Injured. Known for guys getting yeah. injured. And it, and you think about it, it always happens the week before the fight or the week, like two weeks before the fight. It always happens that way. Right when everybody's supposed to start peaking, that's when they end up getting injured. So you start getting guys, all right, let's be scientific about this. Let's do this, 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 and this. All right, take a day off. Like you guys were talking about before, yeah. maybe you should take a day off. You know, take yeah. a night off. It becomes such a huge thing. And the act of recovery. Same thing. It's huge, different, different performance from guys that I've watched fights for years. Yeah. Like now they're completely different fighters. And there's such a trust in what you know. What you have to. You have to earn like that. that. You yeah. have to earn that. You know it from a football team. You know if someone comes in on a team, it's like it's going to take a while before you get that. It takes time. It really does with the, with this whole thing. But you know, ultimately, I think it, it's like you said. You know, Chris and I, we're trying to make an impact on this sport. Um, we want to improve the sport. We want longevity yeah. in the sport for the fighters that we work with, the fighters that we care about, Chris as a fighter, and, you know, all of those things. We, we want to make an impact on what we're doing here in the sport, and we want it to last for a long time. You so know, let me, something we truly care about. Let me ask you one last question before we take off because we, we got to wrap things up. Sure. Do you think it's physically possible for someone to write a book that says how to cut weight? No. <laughs> anyway, that's what I was no, expecting. No, no. He, just I stole, he just stole the title of our textbook. So, yeah. uh, anyway. no. uh, uh, Let me go uh, ahead and throw my little copyright in there. Yeah. So um, the answer is no, but if you could, it would be Corey and I who would write it. Right. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I, I want to kind of go back a little bit upon why uh, Dr. Peacock and I are doing this. And for me, it's twofold. One, people die in this sport. Yeah. In these sports. We're just talking about it today. Dude, more, often, more often than not. Yeah. More often than, than, than it's okay. Yeah. Um, come, once you get your second point out, let me come back to that. Because <laughs> now I'm pissed off. <laughs> second point is, I I don't know exactly how, how Dr. Peacock feels, but I know that I want to see these sports be big. I want to see them be the NFL. I want to see, you know, the NFL, man, they, 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 their guys, you're getting the most out of every one of these guys. Their potential is through the goddamn roof. And the money that's involved with their testing and their nutrition and their recovery. I want to see that for these these gladiators who deserve it. You know, these these fights are old. These, these, these sports are old. Super old. Yeah. Fighting is, is the oldest thing out there. You know, and, um, and yeah, some of the top guys are really getting paid. But I, I think that there's room for improvement even at the highest levels. With these athletes, maybe we can get more years out of them. We can see some of these greats go even longer. Uh, we can see some of these greats come out of out of the sport 
the same guy that came in. We don't need these these punch drunk people walking out of these ring. punch punk oh, former awful. champions. It's, awful yeah, it's that. sad. It hurts. It hurts. I've been around a couple of pro boxers. Howard Davis. Howard Davis was the first guy that I ever met yeah. that uh, that had. Uh, you could tell like something was going on. And it hurt because he's a legend. I mean, hey, MMA guys aren't going to be any different. Is, yeah, it, 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 the sport is so young. We haven't gotten to the point where these where guys we see it. Yeah, we yeah. haven't seen it yet. It's going to happen. You see it physically on some guys, like physically as far as like their body, but not their their brain. Not yet. Sure, and, but, and uh, I guess I'm veering. But like you said, um, this was just something that really bothered me, and it still bothers me to this day. Like I don't know why it impacts me so much, but. There was a there was an interview that I that I did a while back um, one of the MMA outlets I, I don't remember what it was and at the time we were um, we were sort of starting to experiment with these um, basically brain scanners this infrared technology to to recognize if there is some sort of bleeding within the brain so if somebody gets hit it's an easy process you take the scanner you you know, it's a five-second process, scan, 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 everything's good. You know, that, that's the case. And I remember I did this article, and, you know, basically the article was about taking taking further measures to instill these fighter safeties. You know, there, there's been fighters that have had some sort of trauma to the head. They go sit backstage because maybe their coach or whatever the case might be has another fighter on that card. They're waiting for everybody. And while everybody's gone then some issue occurs and, you know, they have some sort of catastrophic effect where where when you look at something like head injury, medical attention is so timely and so drastic, okay? So, so my article was basically just that. We're using something to recognize it. We're not medical, you know, we're not, we're not taking any steps, but hey, if we see a problem, we can at least get it to the yeah. right attention right away. And I put that article out and a coach wrote something about, you know, Death in combat sports is less likely than, you know, happens less than somebody choking on a grape and dying or something like that. It really, like, ate at me to the point that I'm not going to get confrontational. I'm not going to get pissed off. But you're a coach. And to think that anything that can improve the longevity of your fighter's career that could prevent even if it's a .00001% chance, what if that's your fighter that's that .0001 yeah. that could prevent that? And I remember being so upset that I probably wrote 15 replies, deleted it all the way through, yeah. you know, slept on it before I actually responded, yeah. just saying that, like, how dare you as a coach and somebody that should be caring about your fighters yeah. and the well-being of this sport could criticize any medical measure that may influence somebody you know somebody you care about some fighter you coach yeah. or even anybody in the sport that you care about yeah. it's crazy to me so. it's, and no absolutely i mean look at what happened to tim haig yeah. just a couple of weeks ago exactly. it, it's, it's it's sad and they have and you know it you know it from being a part of football it's yeah. it's one of those things that people just kind of neglected how many guys have you seen that just fucking got rocked too many got rocked and then the coaches are like, all right get back out there like a play later it's it's, it's tough many. and it's something that that really needs to be addressed properly and i mean you know that's one of the reasons why i definitely wanted to have you guys on here to talk about it because even though we talked mostly about weight cut at the end of the day the weight cut does come down to the end of the amount of liquid that you have in your body does affect how absolutely. your body reacts to the trauma that it takes the brain is just as you know, just as susceptible yeah. to that in terms of hydration and 
No, and absolutely. And those kind of things. So. No. Well, guys, I, I appreciate you taking the time out here. I, I know where I took up a, a little bit extra of your time. We should good. start wrapping up. Uh, Dr. Corey Peacock, Mr. Algieri, thank you guys so much for taking your time out on a Friday night to do this. Um, I'm getting goosebumps just because it's really – I'm really, really grateful for you guys taking the time to to share your knowledge and let me pick your brain and me even remotely attempting to to know what the hell I'm talking about as far as asking you guys questions and everything else. Um, if you guys want to go ahead and shoot out your information for everyone to, to follow you guys and whatever else you have next, please go ahead and do so. Sure. Um, PeacockPerformance.com, um, under construction, but will be up and running at full effect here in the near future. Um, in terms of social media, Dr. C. Peacock, D-R-C-P-E-A-C-O-C-K. Follow, see some of the stuff we're doing. Send me messages if you have questions. I love interacting with people and that kind of thing. Chris? Uh, first of all, thanks for having us. This no, is thank fantastic, you. Uh, absolute pleasure to, to share some of our experiences and some of our knowledge. Uh, in terms of finding me, um, if you can spell my name, you can find me. <laughs> Pretty much. Good luck spelling that last name, but <laughs> find me on social media, Instagram. I'm pretty pretty busy with. Um, most people know about my food posts. But. Yeah. Well, I mean, as as a boxing fan, I, I'm just uh, you know I'm very grateful for even being able to to meet you, let alone be able to ask questions. And Corey, obviously, you know, like just from from knowing you and being friends for the past few years, and being able to to work with you on and off filming with the guys. Uh, super Absolutely. grateful to have you guys around. For but sure. uh, please, everybody, make sure you follow uh, Dr. Peacock and uh, Chris Algeri online. Uh, keep an eye out. I'm pegging these guys to, to start their own freaking podcast already. It's coming. Chris, so, myself, and the great Tony Ricci we spoke about, woo. it's on its way. I so will. be ready for that podcast coming soon. I told you, I'd be more than happy to uh, to sit down and, and just run the board while you guys talk, uh, just so I can at least be in the room and, and get some knowledge and everything. So make it happen. A lot of knowledge, lot of knowledge, knowledge coming through that. Yeah. Make sure everybody goes and starts nagging these guys to start their own podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in, and uh, stay tuned to the next one. guys thank you very much for tuning in i want to take a minute just to thank chris algieri and dr Corey peacock for taking the time to sit down with me and really just kind of schooling me and not even scratching the surface to the science and their knowledge when it comes to weight cutting sports nutrition and strength and conditioning and everything that we talked about i can't even remotely say that i have a fraction of the knowledge that they do, but I tried my best to really kind of dig in and uh, and hit the questions that I think are important or would be really uh, beneficial for all you guys to hear. I hope that I can get them back on because there's a million other questions I could be asking them and there's a million other stuff that we could go over and things that I could ask Dr. Corey Peacock and Chris about just the MMA and uh, strength and conditioning and everything in general. So if you guys enjoyed it, please share this with your friends, post it on Instagram, post it on Facebook, Twitter, whatever. Please, please follow Chris Algeri and Dr. Corey Peacock on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the social media that they're on. Let them know that you want them to start their own podcast 
because they do have a ton of knowledge and they are really putting in their passion and effort into doing something that would benefit the MMA, Jiu-Jitsu, and fighting sports in general as far as the health and well-being to all the fighters and really to help fighters get a longer and more successful career. So thank you again to Dr. Court Peacock, Chris Algeri. Thank you guys all for tuning in. Thank you for everyone who takes the time out to let me know how much they enjoyed the podcast. Please just continue sharing it. Again, I don't get paid for any of this stuff. I just do it because I really enjoy doing this. Thank you to Chocaloha for the support. Be sure to check out Chocaloha.com and use the promo code Jiu-Jitsu Radio. This week they are releasing new stuff, so make sure you check them out. And uh, thank you guys again for everything. Follow me on Instagram. Check out my blog, mycosmicjourney.com. I will be updating it uh, as much as possible and putting up new stuff. If you're interested in my photography or my videos or anything like that, Sonder Marketing is my company, so check it out. I do sell prints of certain things that I take photos of, not so much as the MMA guys, but more of the uh, ocean and surf photography stuff that I do. So if you guys want to support me financially, that's the best way to do it. Thank you guys again for tuning in, and I'll catch you next time.